1 Corinthians 13, I said that, right? Uh, 1 Corinthians 13. I, I want to draw your attention to just the first three verses. I'm going to read the whole chapter just because it's a pretty chapter, and I want to read all of it, so I think it's worth reading. But um, in the book of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, Paul is addressing a number of issues in this church. Uh, and by this point in chapter 13, he has been dealing with, I think it's chapter 12, where he's been dealing with their concern, their kind of over-focus on hyper, hyper-focus on spiritual gifts. And he says to them at the end of chapter 12, and, and, and uh, in uh, verse, I think it's verse 28 there, where he says, or rather verse 31, where he says, I show unto you a more excellent way. He says, you've been focused on these spiritual gifts, but let me show you something better. Something that's really going to make these gifts worthwhile. And he draws their attention in, in verse 1 of chapter 13. I just want you to follow along with me if you're able to. Uh, Just listen in as he says, and this is chapter 13, verse 1. We'll read to the end of the chapter. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith, so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up, doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, Rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in truth. Beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Charity never faileth, and, but whether there, be, where there, whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. When I was a child, I spake as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know even as I am known. And now abideth faith, hope, charity. These three, but the greatest of these is charity. Would you pray with me for just a moment? Lord, I want to ask that you would help me to share and show with these people uh, what your word has for them. Help me to be clear, be accurate. But Lord, probably more important, I mean, just even as the word itself says there, it's not even the words that I say as much as the power that's behind them. I need your Holy Spirit to join with us, to be part of this to help give them understanding and help me give me clarity of speech. I pray that you will be with us this morning, that we will be the people who love with the love of Christ. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I, I don't think I'm saying anything terribly controversial when I say that this world needs something. Amen. This world's in a mess. Yeah. The world is in real need. They have been deceived by the father of lies. They need somebody somewhere to tell them the truth. They have been stolen from, they have been killed by, they have been destroyed by the one who's going to come in and kill, steal, and destroy 
They need to see some spirit-filled, spirit-led people operating under the, the direction of the Holy Spirit, operating in the power of God. That's what they need to see. They are hearing the father of lies promoting selfishness. That's what, that's, what, that's what everybody is driven by, what they want. They need to see some people who are actually willing to give up their stuff and willing to give up their selves for other people and to actually show real concern, real care for people. I hope I'm not talking about this church when I say this, but it is true of churches in general. Unfortunately, the church is known more for its infighting. Have you been to the average Baptist church business meeting lately? Churches are more known for their pettiness. I know some communities where you could actually count the number of times that original church split because of petty issues all the way back. And by the way, that's not me doing that. That's something the, the community knows all about very well, and they can talk about it. We're known more, I, I was joking at the beginning about the different sects of independent fundamentalism you know anything about that we're known more about our divisiveness than we are about our unity we're known for our hypocrisy that's what and I say we're known I'm talking about the people that you live next to that have houses and homes in neighborhoods next door to our churches that's how they know us and if you don't believe me you say well that's not true here and I hope that's I hope that's right but just go visit another church that you don't know and they don't know you and you don't have any reason to be there and they're going to look at you like you got three heads hanging out of your, out of your neck. I promise you, they're, they're, just, they're, not, they're not going to be, that is, they're not that interested. This is unfortunately not a new situation. This is exactly what Paul is addressing at Corinth. This is exactly the attitudes, the feelings, the, the, the behaviors he's addressing there. This was a church that was known, in fact, he goes, if you were to go to chapter 1 and verse 10, it's, it's sort of a purpose statement of sorts for the whole book. And he says, I really want to deal with your lack of unity. I want you to have unity in Christ. These guys have clicked up over their favorite preachers. They have gotten mesmerized by the entertainment and the eloquence of the world. They've kind of got these standards that the, the world says, this is what you need, and that's what they wanted in the church. Uh, they, had, they had let sin run rampant. In chapter 5, there's a fellow that was doing things that shouldn't even be mentioned among the world, much less among the church, and the church was fine with it. Uh, they were more worried about who has got the better gifts well, I'm able to speak in tongues. Well, I'm able to prophesy. I'm able to heal. This is the stuff they were arguing about. They were even turning people away, chapter 11, that were too poor. They wouldn't even let them eat at the Lord's Supper because they didn't have enough money. I mean, that's the kind of church that we're talking about. And it's not, like I said, that's not new. That's, that was all the way back at the Corinthian church. And as a result, they were missing the one thing, the one thing that actually makes a difference what they needed and what this whole world needs. They were missing that one thing, and it is the transforming love of Christ. You heard it several times. The King James Version uses the word charity, charity. That, that is the idea of love, that kind of love that is giving of itself that we only see exemplified in its perfect form in the Savior coming to this earth and giving his life as a ransom for many. That's what he's talking about is this transforming love. And I think that's where we are as modern church folk today. We're in this position where we've mistakenly assumed that if we say the right things, that we're doing okay. 
that if we have spiritual giftings, then we're doing okay. If we are sacrificial for helping people, we're doing okay. Somehow that makes the difference. But Paul in this passage is going to set us straight. So I'd like to just take a few minutes. There's a whole chapter here. I'm not going to spend all the time on that. I'm going to really focus in on just three verses, the first three verses where the Apostle Paul sets us straight on these things. First of all, he tells us that our words are useless. Our words are useless. Look in verse 1. He says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am become as sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. Though I, he says there that, that even though I may speak with the tongues of men and of angels. Now, what he's saying there is that we assume that if we just have the right source of our words or if they're just good enough, that somehow that's going to help people and change people's minds. But what he's saying here is that, no, you could have the best that man can offer. You can put together the most eloquent of speeches, sermons, or, or uh, gospel testimonies, or any of those things. You can put the most eloquent thing together you could possibly do. And he says there, it's a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. He even goes and says, you can speak with the tongues of angels. There were some in the Corinthian church, and there's even some today that come back to the book of Corinthians and try to interpret that there's this thing called angel tongues that you somehow can speak with the tongues of angels I, I don't believe that that's actually a thing by the way he's using what's called hyperbole he's using this over over uh, 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 exaggeration to say you could have the most perfect heavenly tongue it's not a real thing not available to us but if you could do that he says if you do that and you don't have charity you don't have this love you are not anything you are a sounding brass and a tingling tinkling cymbal but somehow we think that if we have this ideal speech, if I can say the right things in the right way, with the right tone of voice, with the right inflection, with the right words, and stack everything just exactly right, and if I say it in a way that everybody appreciates and everybody likes it, then that's going to change the world. And Paul says, no, 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 it's just noise. It's just noise. The, the noise he uses here, it says sounding brass and a tinkling cymbal. I don't know if y'all have ever actually watched, let's say, a full orchestra perform. I, I remember when our kids were in, in high school, some of my, my older boys were in high school, uh, they were involved in, their, in the bands and the orchestras and things like that. And, and you would see on the stage, you'd have the, the different, you know, the brass instruments and all, you know, all the different instruments up there. But then in the back, you'd have these fellas, it was like two or three of them, and they'd be running around through these weird instruments and they'd be banging on this and clanging on that and all that and it worked because it sort of filled in these neat little spots it especially certain pieces it would really add something to it but could you imagine let's take everybody off stage but just have the guy with the the do 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 thing the was a xylophone looking thing and the and the big things hanging down i mean all that just that's all that's left up there and they're just banging on stuff for 30 minutes well, it might be interesting for two or three minutes, but after that, it's, what does he say there? It's a sounding brass and a tinkling cymbal. It's just a bunch of noise. It's just a bunch of clashing and clanging. It, the, 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 it's the percussion section with the volume turned up. That's not interesting. The, the one brother was talking about having a migraine. Could you imagine having to listen to this with a migraine? Oh, my goodness. You'd want this to be turned off. Yes, the percussion is interesting, it's helpful, it's useful in its place. But when it's the thing in the foreground and everything else goes behind, it's absolutely irritating. 
the wrong thing is in the forefront. So he says there, the, the key is having charity. The love of Christ, the transforming love of Christ. The love, and as we read in verses 4 through 7, I won't go back to read all those, but it's love that's marked by genuine care. Love that is marked by endurance and loving the truth and, and, and faith in others. Not, not winning arguments, not, not, not bowling people over with our phenomenal speeches, but instead actually genuinely reflecting the love of Christ for individual people, loving people the way that Christ loved them and with his love, not my love, but his love, loving them that way. Without that, it's just a bunch of noise. But with that, it's exactly what, we, what this world needs. Without the love of Christ, you know what my speech does? It runs people down. It, does, it gossips. That's what my speech does. I may intend it to do one thing or another, but that's what it actually does. When I don't have the love of Christ, I'm focused on saying the, just the right thing. I want to share the gospel with a neighbor or with a coworker, so I want to make sure I've got all my words just right instead of actually caring about their souls and making sure that the Holy Spirit is speaking through me. He'll give me the words to say, you understand. If I'm focused so much on that and not the love of Christ, I can be prideful thinking I'm the one they need for the answers. I'm the only one that can set them straight. And what we end up doing is creating division and making a bunch of noise. But with the love of God, you know what it's going to do? It'll transform how you share the gospel. You'll actually share with the compassion that Jesus had. If you go back to the gospels, you'll see Jesus talking. They're talking about Jesus when he would see those crowds. He was moved with compassion. He loved them. He actually loved them. There was even that time at the, at the, at the tomb where his friend Lazarus had died. He knew he was bringing him back to life, yet he knew the pain that him and his family were suffering, and it brought him to tears. This is the kind of compassion that we'll have when we share the gospel. Even as you're raising your children, I think about this convictingly myself, to think about how I'm raising my children. And, and yes, I can think about the perfect words to say, but instead, if I actually have the love of God in me, reflecting to me, I'll, I will actually raise them in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord, not about how they make me look, not how they make me feel, how irritated I am at the moment, but instead actually having the love of Christ coming through me. That's the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. It'll also help us in our churches. You know, we need each other to encourage us. I think he was just talking about that in Sunday school. We need encouragement and edification. But if I'm doing that because I think I'm smarter than you, I'm more godly than you, I am better than you, not because I have the love of Christ in me, I will actually hurt my brother. But if I will come at him in the way that Christ came to me with the love of Christ coming through me, I will actually speak to him in love, rather in truth, in love. That's the way that we ought to be doing this. But my words are useless apart from the love of Christ. Verse 2, he says that if I have the gift of prophecy, and then he goes on talking about the, the mysteries and knowledge, and then the third uh, gift there of faith. He says, if I have these gifts, if I have these gifts, those gifts that I have, those spiritual gifts are useless. As I already mentioned, this church was very, very concerned with these spiritual gifts. And Paul is spending a lot of time, chapters 12, 13, and 14, really talking about what these gifts are and what they, how they should be used. And lots of information there that he's sharing, trying to set them straight. But he is, he is saying, first of all, he does say in other parts of this, I think it's in chapter 12, um, in, uh, I can't see it right off, but anyway, in chapter 12, just believe me, look at the end of chapter 12, he says that these gifts are important. He's not saying they're not important. He says they're important. They're very important. 
they are. And he gives here three examples. I don't believe this is intended to be the full list. Again, Paul is making an argument. He is not necessarily trying to deal with every one of the gifts here. But he is saying in his argument, here's three examples three of probably the more important examples that he thought were relevant for this church. He says, I'm bringing these forward as examples of all of the gifts. And all of the gifts, essentially, he has said already that they are valuable. They're valuable gifts. But they would think, the church thought, that if they would use, the, if they've had these gifts and they could use these gifts, it was a sign that somehow God had a special blessing on them. That they were somehow a little more important than the rest of the people especially if they had one of the more important gifts in their minds, whatever that might be. Uh, tongues was one that was really on the top of their list. But Paul says, even if you have the gift of prophecy, which I believe in this context he actually has in mind being prophetic, meaning seeing, understanding, interpreting the future, not just the forth-telling, preaching aspect. That's another gift. But in this case, I believe he's talking about looking and seeing the future here. He says, if you have that gift... He says that's, that is a gift that, that, that he's addressing. Or he says here the, the mysteries and knowledge. He, what does he say there? Understanding all mysteries and all knowledge. Those things that are known and unknown, you're able to interpret and understand those things. You're able to, to take everything that is knowable and share it and understand it with other people. He's also talking about faith. This last one here, if you have all faith, you're able to lean on God. And I believe, in fact, he uses the term here, Faith so that I could remove mountains. I believe he's referring back to what Jesus said in Mark chapter 11. I think it's verse 22 or verse 23 where he says that you need to have the faith that can move mountains. Take this mountain and say, go over here. I believe that's what Paul's thinking about is that kind of, mount, that kind of faith. Mountain moving faith. And, and Paul, let's just say this. Paul had all of these gifts and then some. I mean, at least I would assess him as... If there was ever what you might call a great Christian with all the spiritual gifts, it would be Apostle Paul. And Paul says, I, if I have all of these things, look what the last three words are in that verse. I am nothing. If you do not have, that's the key to this. He says, if I have these things and have not charity, I am nothing. He says, you can have all of these gifts, but having the gifts do not make you important. They do not make you spiritual. They do not make you valuable. You say, well, Matthew, I thought they were important gifts. They are. The Holy Spirit gives them to those who he wants to give them. That is his right to do, and he does do that. But that alone does not make you important. The value of the gift actually is only if it is used in a particular way. I want to ask you to turn. You're in chapter 13. Just go backwards one chapter to chapter 12 and verse 7. Look at verse 7 of chapter 12. So the manifestate, but the manifestation of the Spirit is given. So this manifestation of the Spirit is how he gives the gifts. He says the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. That phrase, profit with all, you could kind of, the idea that you should see there is the fact that the, the way that the Holy Spirit gives these is that they're for the good of the whole church. They're not for you to look good, not for you to be seen as more important or valuable. They are given to you so that you can help other people. That's the idea of verse 7. So their value is not in the fact that you've got it, so therefore I am a very faithful person. I've got it, I can teach people really, really well. Or I've got it so I can speak in tongues or whatever other one of those gifts that you want to speak of. He says that's not the value. The value is... 
are they actually helping the congregation? Are they helping other people? If not, they're of no value. You are nothing if you have it. You have to have the transformative love of Christ. That's what makes you useful and valuable. That's what makes the gifts that the Holy Spirit gives us useful and valuable. That's what makes us able to actually point to the one who can help people. Do you understand if I'm standing here and I could preach, and, and I apologize if I'm, I'm not quite getting to that point or not, but, but I wish I could preach with all this perfect eloquence. I've heard some guys preach, and I mean, I want to preach like that. I wish I could. But if I could hit those notes just right, I am useless unless what I am preaching points you to the Savior who loves you. You could stand and teach a Sunday school class. You could stand and sing a song. You could stand in front of someone and encourage them. You could give the gospel. There's any number of things that we could talk about that are good things to do. But unless you are doing it because you love the people that you're doing it for and you're trying to help those people and help them not see you but to see Jesus, unless that's the case, I'll just quote Apostle Paul, you are nothing. You are nothing. But if we will actually have the love of Christ, I think it will change how we teach. I'm no longer teaching insider information that I have figured out. I've sat in my study and chiseled away to find some special knowledge that you need to know because you are blessed to be in my presence. That's not the way I'm going to teach anymore. I'm actually going to teach knowing that I am in awe of the one that I get to know, and I want you to know him like I've heard about him. That's the way we're going to teach. It's going to change the, the reason we learn. We're not going to sit in a congregation or in a Sunday school class any longer just to sit and soak and bloat with all of the information that we have learned. I, I, I can tell you, I know a thing or two about sitting, soaking, and bloating because I have been in church pretty much since I was a little baby. I have been in some kind of church, whether I wanted to be or not. I was there. I was in there. And I learned all sorts of things. But the problem with my knowledge... I can't speak about yours, but I can speak about mine, is that it only did me good. And until that starts turning around and saying that I'm learning so that I can help others know him and the power of his resurrection, then that knowledge, that, that is useless information because it is not for that purpose. It is to share and to show to other people. It will also change the focus of my faith. I'll, I'll just tell y'all something. It's a pet peeve of mine. Apologize if there's one of y'all that do this. Yeah, I don't know y'all well enough yet, so I, got, I, can, I can say stuff like this. But uh, it's a pet peeve of mine. People wanting to go around and tell me how much, basically by telling stories, about how much faith they have. How strong their faith is in God. And, I, and I'm not even saying they're lying. They might be true. I don't know. But why it's a pet peeve for mine is because I feel like, whether they mean it or not, I'm, I'm reading into their motives, I understand that. But I feel like they're telling me that because they want to impress me. They're telling me that because they want to see, or maybe even they see themselves as really faithful people, spiritual people. But it brings to my mind Balaam in the Old Testament. Y'all remember Balaam? He had some gifts. I mean, he heard from God. I don't know. Sometimes I wonder if I'm hearing from God, you know, and here's Balaam actually hearing from God. But what did he use that gift for? For personal gain. 
He took that message from the Lord to try to negotiate a better deal, to try to get in a position so that he would win. He was trying to use it for personal gain, to try to impress. But what we need to understand is that our faith, be faithful people, be people who trust God, be people who lean on God, and be people who see God do amazing things, but use that not to impress people, not to get personal gain, but to bear witness, as Jesus says in Acts 1.8, bear witness to Jesus. Actually say, I just saw God do something, and he could do that for you. If we can use it in that way, then our faith is then useful. It is the love of Christ pointing people to him and the power of his resurrection. So my words are useless, my gifts are useless apart from the love of Christ, but also my sacrifice is useless. Look at verse 3. He says, though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned. Now, what's interesting about this is if I were to say to you, or we might be talking about some other person out here and say, you know, that is a, a person who's given his entire life to do this or that, whatever it might be. Let's say it's something good, like feeding the poor. He gives his whole life to feed the poor. He gives everything he's got. He's, he's got nothing left, and he, he's, he's, on his, he's on his last dime, and he's about to die, but every breath he's breathed has been to feed the poor. I don't know about y'all, but I would say, that's a good man. He's done some good work in his life. And I would do it without any sarcasm. I would be honest when I'd say, that's how I'd feel. That would be amazing. And that's exactly what he says here. This is somebody who gives his life, all his goods, to feed the poor for a good cause. Here's somebody who has given his body to be burned. Now, now the, the body to be burned, don't, don't picture there necessarily uh, some of the martyrs of the Middle Ages where they were set on uh, uh, burning uh, piles. That's not what's really in mind here. The idea still works, but that's not what Paul had in mind. They didn't really do that in, during Paul's day. What he had in mind was more about the burnt offerings the burnt offerings, you know how they put those, those offerings on the altar and they would have them be consumed by, for, for God. That was what they were. They were totally given over to the Lord. And, and it's the same idea here is that he's got this idea of the, of the burnt offering. So he's saying to, to totally be consumed by the work, to, to, to burn out and pour out yourself to the work. Well, that's what that guy that I was describing, he'd be doing. He's giving himself over to that. That's, a, that's a great, that's amazing stuff. But here's the, reason, here's the problem with that. I can't, this, this um, hypothetical man that I have developed over here, I don't know what his motives are, but I know what my motives would be if I were that man. I'd like at least somebody to say thank you. I mean, that's just me. I'd like somebody to say, yep, appreciate the work you've done, Matthew. You did a good job. I, that's what I like. I'm not asking you to, you know, make a memorial to me. I just want a little appreciation in my life. Am I the only one that's like that? Maybe, maybe y'all need to get up here and preach to me, but I know I'm like that. I've done that before, especially, I'll just say it to you, you know, like sometimes you do stuff in the church, like as, as a pastor, I was doing things, and even not as a pastor, just as a, as a member of the church, you do things, and in the back of your mind, you're like, do they know how hard I worked on that thing? <laughs> Nobody seems to appreciate that the way they ought to. That's how I feel. Now, again, if y'all aren't there, just let me talk to myself for a minute. I just feel that way most of the time about the sacrifices I make. I at least want appreciation. Even if, I, even if you don't appreciate me, fine, that's fine. I'm trying to build a legacy here so that when I'm dead and gone that people look back and say, I don't remember his name, but, man, he sure did do a good work. 
You know, that, that's in my mind. That's how I feel about things. And, and we do this even, you know, and, and I'm so glad that there are people that are willing to do it. People put themselves on the front lines as police officers or military and other things like that where their lives are literally on the line. But even there, what are they, they're doing it for some higher cause, right? They're trying to help their country, help their community, help. That's what they're doing it for. The point is we're trying to do these things in order to gain something. This is the whole basis of religion, you understand. This is why people come to church. Now, can I go ahead and tell you this is wrong, but this is why they come to church. This is why they do religious activities. This is why they do good deeds. Because they are trying to curry some favor with somebody. But, but Paul says here that if you do those things, verse 3, and have not charity... It profiteth me nothing. Your sacrifice, as much as you have bled, poured your life out, given everything you've given to it, it's useless. It's meaningless. It's pointless. Unless you have the love of Christ. In this life, we're going to endure pain and loss and weakness. <laughs> I, I want to just... again maybe I'm being too self-revelatory here but you invest any amount of time in another human being I don't care if it's your children or if it's a friend or if it's a somebody you're trying to mentor in a business setting or in a church setting you spend any amount of time you invest in any amount of yourself you know what's going to happen guaranteed they're going to disappoint you they will disappoint you absolutely and if you're trying to do that investing in those people in order to get something back here, if that's the whole point, your investment will profit you nothing, he says. And it's definitely going to be that case in the next life. You go through all these rigmarole and all these steps and hoops and jump through everything in order to please God, make God like you, make God happy with you. If that's what you're doing... Jesus says in Mark chapter 8, verse 35, you may gain the whole world, but you'll lose your soul. This is meaningless. This is hopeless. This is pointless, he says. And you say, well, Matthew, preach me some good news. Well, this is if you have not charity, but let me tell you, you have charity, you have the love of Christ. When you have that, when that inevitable pain comes because of disappointment, when that eventual dread comes because of some chronic illness in your life, when that unavoidable pain of death comes, when all of those things come about, you will have the, you have the love of Christ. What Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 10, is that God uses those moments of weakness to show his strength and his greatness when you have the love of Christ in you when that happens he turns weakness into an opening for his strength you turn something that has no value at all where you look at it from a human perspective and say that was a waste of time but what God does is he turns those those moments of waste those moments of meaninglessness he turns those things into something as he says in 2nd Corinthians 4 17 a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory do you understand the 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 key ingredient here it's not what you say (laughs) it's not the gifts that you have it's not the sacrifices you make it's the love of jesus christ 
poured out in you. I think Paul says this in Romans 5, 5. He sheds the love of God abroad in our hearts. When you have the love of God in your heart, that's the thing that'll make a difference for you and those people around you. In John 13, verse 35, Jesus said that people would know that we are his followers, we're his disciples, I think is the word he uses in that passage, by the love that we have for each other. He says, that's how they're going to know you're my disciples. Not how eloquent and how perfect the preaching can be. How entertaining the services can be. Not how many of us can wear a religious message on a t-shirt. Not how perfectly we can exegete the Greek. Not of the outline of end times in our minds that we can share with other people. Not the amazing faith that we have. Not even the sacrificial gifts that we have. Now let me just stop real quick and tell you, if you understand this, if you have the love of Christ in you, I think it's going to make you a better preacher. I think it's going to make you more sacrificial. I think it's going to make you a better student of the Word of God. I think it's going to make you a better witness. I think it's going to do all of those things. Please understand me, but we got to get the cart, or rather the horse before the cart. we got the cart before the horse. We need to put the horse before the cart. The horse before the cart is we need the love of Christ in us. Because without the love of Christ, we are literally helping no one, least of all ourselves. And I want to make sure you understand this before I close. You can't gin up this love. What I don't want you to hear from this message is, well, i got to love harder. Let me go home and work on my love, love engine, kind of crank that motor up so I can get it going. That's not what I'm trying to get you to hear me at all. This love has one source. It is, as I said in Romans 5, 5, it is shed abroad in your heart. It's not coming from you. It's not coming from me. I am not a loving person, naturally. Not the way I need to be. Best, best case scenario, I'll fake it real good so y'all might like me. That's not what you want. You want the genuine deal. You want the love of Christ coming out of me. And that is something you have to come to Jesus for his transformational love. His words give life. His gifts will point to him. And his sacrifice works in eternal glory in us. You're just going to have to spend a minute with the Lord and ask him to give you more of this love. If you're not saved, and I don't know the people that are here, if you're not a Christian, if Jesus is not your Savior, you're going to have to ask him, you're going to have to believe that he is the one that saves. He is the one that died for your sins. He is the one that has this love. And you're just going to have to say, Lord, as, the, as Romans 10 talks about, believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. Lord, I'd like to have that love. Would you give it to me? He's promised he'd give it. He will. He will. Now, if you are saved, if you are a believer, you're not done. That's not it. I can tell you because I just talked about a bunch of churches and how they're not showing this love. Why is that? I think it's because we're, as the Galatian church, we're, we, were, we started in the spirit, but we were trying to continue in the flesh. We need to stop that, and we need to say, Lord, you saved me. Thank you. I'm on my way to heaven. Hallelujah. But I'm operating in the love of Matthew, not in the love of Jesus. Could you change that for me, Lord? Could you work on me? If it takes a mountain, take a mountain. Whatever you got to do, Lord, give it to me. 
I want that love to come through me the way it needs to.